0: Alrighty guys, if you'll make your way to your seats, uh, we'll go ahead and look into God's Word together. If you have a Bible, you can open to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're finishing out this week the series that we've uh, just been looking at, the great command. So Jesus has asked, what's, what's the greatest command? What's, what's sum up all the Bible, what God wants us to do, what it means to be a human basically in the most fulfilling and thriving sense, and it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So life can get confusing. Uh, Sometimes, sadly, following Jesus and all of the different many great ways we have of doing that in our super churchy worlds around here, particularly in the religious South, it can feel complicated. But the bottom line, Jesus says, is to love God and to love others. To be intentional about a relationship with Him that is supreme, and then He says there's a second like it, because some of us want to say, alright, I can do the whole God thing, but the others thing, I don't want to do. And so He makes it real clear for us that these, thing go, these things go together. Some of us in here are cool with the others thing, but the, the God thing, where we're like, I don't like being alone with Him. And so Jesus leads us here into what we all need to hear. And this morning, we just want to cap off this short little series by looking at this letter that Jesus sends to a church of Ephesus that calls them back to their first love. So let's read Revelation 2, 1-7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are patiently enduring and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Abandon your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that we've already sang and prayed and participated in today as your people. We thank you that you do not tell us to get strong before we come to you. We thank you that you don't tell us to get it right before we come to you but we thank you that in our weakness and our wrongness and our doubt and our discouragement that you've not only welcomed us but you've came after us we pray today that you would help even the way that we understand seeing ourselves seated here is not first and foremost about us coming to you but about you coming to us we thank you that you've invited us your gathering today. And we ask now by your Spirit that you would not let us leave merely have it attended some sort of religious event, some sort of talk, some sort of ideas. But we pray even now, Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts so that we can receive the conviction and the comfort that you want to bring us today through the word of your gospel, the word of Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen. I once relocated a couch. And if that doesn't sound crazy, you might think it's just in terms of moving, is on the anniversary of Cassie and I's first year dating, I recreated the very room that we were in when we met. I went to great lengths to show her how, in my mind, that night changed my life. And so I, from, from Chatsworth, Georgia to Athens, Georgia, I showed her that this is how much you mean to me. I used to do lots of crazy things like that when we were dating. Now if an anniversary rolls around, she would tell you, and we've had long conversations about this, about areas for me to grow in is probably Chili's in a movie would be like really, you know, a high bar to hit. And if you've you've ever been in love before, in those early days of being in love, first off, if you've never been there, it makes you crazy. So you need help. Because you may do dumber things than drive a couch halfway across the state. You may stay up really late talking on the phone about nothing. Just knowing that other person's air is being breathed on the other side. You you don't have to plan a date night. Right? You have to have plans to not be together. It's like some people have to stop us from being together. You, you, you may prize your time alone, but you also want other people to meet who you're in love with. Sometimes this is even the sign that like this has this moved from mere like infatuation or sentimentality. Is like, I need you to meet my best friends. I need you to meet my parents. I need you to meet the people who mean the most to me in my life because you are the person who now means the most to me in my life. It's this love we have at the first. It may be silly in some ways. It may be sentimental in some ways. But there's there's something to it, though, that's beautiful. And it's special. It's very loyal. But it's much deeper than mere loyalty. Love is what guides the loyalty. Love is what leads the loyalty. And what may be easy for us to forget in our super saturated church world and maybe even Jesus talk is that Jesus wants us to not merely be loyal to him, but to be in love with him. And I believe I could, if I had the time, could defend this biblically all day long. Is that if you've never been there at some point and in some way, then you've never really been converted by the Spirit of God. Now this text helps us out because it shows us that we're not always there. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to Christians. And he's saying, you were there, but you're not there now. Doesn't mean they weren't ever Christians. We can slide. We can slip. We can abandon and even still be his people. But the reference point is, there was some point in your life when the Spirit of God captured your heart and you loved Jesus, you didn't love Him because you were supposed to. You didn't love Him because some preacher or pastor or parent said, this is what you should do. You just loved Him because you were overwhelmed by His love for you. Maybe some would say Revelation 2 has been taken too far to encourage some type of immaturity or childish faith, but I'm not so sure. Because Jesus is asking this church at Ephesus, a church as we're about to look at who is very faithful in a lot of ways that took great sacrifice and took great commitment. But He's not just wanting their loyalty, He wants their love all throughout God's word, all throughout the story of God, we see that the gospel is a redemption that really is all about a reconciliation. The gospel is not the gospel of a bank deposit being made so that we can just merely have our records cleared. Although the redemption that Christ brings us does involve and an, a fancy word, imputation, accrediting of His righteousness, To our account, so that we thereby are freed from the payment and penalty that we owe. But that's not the end goal. The goal of the gospel is the reconciliation of a relationship with God where His people walk with Him in the cool of the day. That's the goal of the gospel. It's not just merely so you can say, I'm forgiven. The goal of the Gospel is not forgiveness, the goal of the Gospel is fellowship. The goal of the Gospel, dare I say it, is romance. It's closeness. It's communion. This is why the whole biblical story is fashioned around this metaphor of the relationship we have with God as marriage. We are the bride of Christ. So sometimes the ladies in here have to hear the fact that they are sons of God and sometimes the guys in here have to hear the fact that they are the bride of Christ. But God uses this picture to show us a picture of covenant commitment that is not of mere loyalty but of deep love. Jesus loves you. And his goal is not merely to get you into heaven. But to rule, to reign, to rest in your heart. His goal is not so much through all the work that he accomplished to get you there someday. His goal is he wants to be here today. The kingdom of God in you. So he calls us to more than loyalty, but to love. So how do, we, how do we lean back in there? Well, the first thing is we have to remember the love we had at the first. This is what he tells them. Remember where you've fallen, says this in verse 4. Now why was this hard? Now first of all, just, just a few things that help us is he's writing this to Ephesus. So Ephesus would have not have been a city where it was easy to love Jesus. Ephesus was known as the location of the great temple of Diana or Artemis. If you read in the book of Acts, you see this was a place that was not a welcoming of the gospel or the church because as people being converted out of idolatry to this pagan worship, it threatened their economy. So the economy ran off selling idols or representations or this whole sort of commercialism, consumerism around the worship of Diana. And when people are being converted to following Christ and they're saying there's only one king, there's only one God, well, people get mad. And they want to shut this down. It was a center of religious commercialism, consumerism, and paganism. There was pressure. And so this is why Jesus gives them this great commendation in verses 2 and 3 that in the midst of such a pressured culture, they have not given in. They have been faithful in their duty, verse 2 tells us. Their works, their tool, their patient endurance. I mean, they've kept showing up to gatherings like this. Likely in a home that could have literally been raided. where there probably was someone maybe standing outside writing down the names of all the people who are participating in this treasonous worship of another king. They kept showing up. They were faithful. They were also faithful in their doctrine. Verse 2 also tells us that, see, they've, they've tested those who call themselves apostles and found them to be false. Then in verse 6, they, they hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They're not giving in to false teaching, and they're also not giving in to immoral living they're faithful in a city and a culture where compromising on these issues would have been met with only applause you know we, we live in Cleveland Tennessee if you if you start sliding off of, of, a, of a faith in, in what has traditionally been known as biblical truth you're probably gonna have somebody who's sort of saying like I'm worried about you brother or, I'm worried about you, sister. In Ephesus, it would have been, of course, water it down, compromise it, do your own thing. It's just one myth among many other myths. In Ephesus, they would have been praised, but even in the midst of that culture, they've stayed faithful. And what's amazing is notice their motivation in verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. So this is important. They're doing it for God's glory. So any any John Piperish folks in here, they get it for his name's sake. They're motivated to be faithful in their duties and faithful in their doctrines with a theology that is God-centered. They're checking all the right boxes. But verse 4, but they've abandoned the love they had at the first. They were loyal, they were faithful, but they... We're not in love. They remembered everything, but it seems that maybe their duty had stopped being a delight. Think of it this way. Uh, Say a husband or a wife brings flowers to their spouse on her birthday. Husband, that is. Let's say he remembers it, right? That's a big, good thing for a lot of us. He just remembered it. Let's not say he just remembered it like this guy never forgets it. Not only did he bring flowers, but he wrote a poem. And in that poem, he described her as in such a way that would communicate, you know me. I mean, you get me you know all the right things about me, my thoughts, my behaviors, my my desires. And let's say that he brings these flowers, he writes this poem, and he does it in the context of a lifetime of many years of faithful providing and faithful protecting. But the whole time that he's doing it, he's reading this poem in this context, You notice he's looking down at his watch. You notice he's glancing in the background at ESPN. You notice that his mind, his heart, is somewhere else. That's sad. Is she loved? Is she glorified by this? He's well, very loyal. It's very nice that he remembers. It's very nice he knows. But maybe he's just getting her pacified while he's making himself feel justified. But he really just wants to get this over with so he can get on with what he really wants to do in his life. Just watch Sports Center, or consider his latest hobby. This is what this is what Jesus is saying to them, to us. Am I your first love, or am I just something really important on your list in your life that you do, that you know, that you get over with? Are you just loyal to me, or are you in love with me? So the Bible makes it clear that God is jealous for your love. Much of why we started this church comes from a story in my own life where I could tell you that I drifted. I was a faithful pastor in every sense of the word, probably with no sense of arrogance could pass about any theological exam that anybody might throw my way but my daydreams were anywhere but on the kingdom of Christ i i remember when i was a teenager and it doesn't happen the same for all of us in our lives but i remember when the love of God and the beauty of His gospel took root in my heart. I couldn't even mow a yard without dreaming of what foreign country Jesus might send me to to bring the gospel. I couldn't go to bed at night without just having the opportunity to spend a little little more time in His Word. You know what a lot of days, if I have a little spare time that I really want to do, is find a funny YouTube video. There's nothing wrong with YouTube videos that are funny, but something's changed in our hearts, isn't it, when we're flinching a certain way now. When what Jesus used to be what gave us rest, Jesus used to be in His His center place in our heart used to be what moved us. And now, yeah, sure, we like him. Yeah, sure, he's great. We we need him. We're all about him. We schedule for him. But if we're honest, we remember a time when he was our joy. And loving him with all our hearts didn't take away our joy. It increased our joy. I want you right now just to remember those days in your mind. Remember when you wanted to read a book about him. Remember when you were a little irritating to other people. Not wanting you to be irritated. Remember when that you were a little irritating to other people because you you're like. I really want to talk to you about this podcast I just listened to, about the gospel, or this sermon that I just heard. Remember that. It's what Jesus says to do right here. Remember. Remember when you dreamed about me. Remember when I wasn't just another person, as it were, walking on the street, but I was a head-turner? Remember when Jesus turned your head? Maybe that's not where we're all at right now. Maybe it's other loves that have crept into our life, usually not bad things, sometimes good things, but good things now that we've let become God things. Maybe you've had some big letdowns in your life since then. You were like, yeah, I'm all, I'm all about this. And then like, man, life's just hard because the, the world, the flesh, and the devil hate that love. And they've came at you hard and they've, they've stunted you. Maybe you feel like God's let you down. Maybe you think I don't, I just don't know who you are. And so maybe now you've redefined your relationship with God as one that's mostly just about loyalty but not about love. But what Jesus says to them as he's saying to us is he does not want us to be a priority in his life like exercise or eating good is. Something you do because you know you're supposed to. Something you may even do the first in the day. He doesn't want to be your exercise plan. He is a person, and He wants your love. He wants my love. When He writes this to a church, He wants our love. So what are we called to do? We're not just called to remember, but we're called to repent and return to the love that we had at the first. And He makes it really clear. He says in verse 5, He says not only are we to return to that love, but He says repent and do the works of You did it first. Now, this is important to point out. We've got to hear that phrase in light of what he just said. So, they're still being faithful, they're already being faithful in their duty and in their doctrine. So, whatever he means by return to the works you did at the first, he's not saying that because he's just told them they're doing that. So, he's not saying just do that harder, just do that better. No, he's saying what is missing is love. He's he's doing the same thing Jesus did to the lawyer. What is the greatest commandment? Because I'm keeping them really good, Jesus. But do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? Without sounding extreme, Jesus, read the Gospels. Jesus calls us to some type of whatever you may want to describe it as fanaticism. Whoever does not love his mother, love me more than his mother, father, sister, brother is not worthy to be my disciple. Remember when you heard that and you were like, yeah. Now I can be mean to my family. No, it's not what he meant, right? (laughs) He's just saying, you you love me best. Remember when he said, foxes have holes to lay their head, but the Son of Man has nowhere. Follow me. No one who turns his face back to the plow is fit to enter the kingdom of God. It's not a particular work. it's It's a perspective that powers our works, that's filled on this love for Jesus. Remember when loving other people in the gospel in your life was not about a problem to be solved, but it was a passion to be fulfilled? Remember when you wanted to be in community? (laughs) Remember when you wanted to pray with other people? Remember when you wanted to share the gospel? it didn't seem corny, it didn't seem contrived, and you were kind of confused about all these churches that had all these programs and curriculums about getting people to do this stuff, because you were just sort of like, why do you have to have a program to teach somebody to talk about what's most important to them? Do you have a class on how, how to teach grandparents to brag on their grandchildren? Remember then, what did you do then? What were the things that you were doing then when Jesus was that love and other people were a passion to be pursued, not a problem to be fixed? Go back and do that. They're hearing another version of 1 Corinthians 13. You can heal the sick, you can preach the greatest sermons, but if you don't do it out of love, it's empty. It's not worship. They're hearing another version of Jesus with Martha and Mary, and Martha's working so hard. Mary's at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, Martha, I love you. You're doing good work. But Mary's chosen the greater portion. They're being called back to the great commands. And this is why this, this, this warning is issued in verse five of the removal of the lampstand. is it's because a church that doesn't have the love of Jesus at its center is nothing but a gathering of people around themselves. We're not the Spirit of God apart from Christ. There's a lot of church buildings in our country, but that that does not mean they're churches as defined by Jesus in this letter to Ephesus. The lampstand, the light of Christ that makes a church truly a church flows from those who don't just have their doctrine right and their duty right, but their delight and their desires are in loving God and loving others. You know, sometimes people can be injured so badly. You've seen these stories. There's even been movies made about this, whether through an accident, an injury, or a stroke, and they have to learn to eat again. Or sometimes they have to learn to talk again. And in some cases, they have to learn to walk again. And that relearning process is not easy. And in the movies, we see this this painful rehab process. Some of you may have seen this in real life. And this painful rehab process, if they're to walk again, talk again, is it requires a lot of humility. Because oftentimes, it's a very strong person. Now is going to have to have a, a small sort of physical therapist Give them orders and tell them what to do. And a person who wants who could run is now going to have to be a person who says, yes, this was a good week, I made five steps. It takes a lot of humility, it takes a lot of help. Why do people do it? They do it because of love, of the love of life, a love of others, sometimes a love of a sport. But it takes work a work that any physical therapist would tell you is not merely a work that happens in the movement of the body, but it comes from the heart. Do you have the will to do this? Do you have the desire to do this? Because you can lay in that bed if you want to, but if you're going to get up, you got to get up. And you got to go back and do that same work you did as a baby. You learned to walk one time in your life, and you can learn to walk again. And when that healing comes, it's so beautiful. But it's not just beautiful at the end, it's beautiful to see someone fight. To fight for life, to fight for love. And when it comes to falling in love again, it takes work too. Maybe you've been injured in your soul by the world, the flesh, or the devil. And you're sitting here even today saying, Man, I just, I just don't feel it. The Spirit's bringing to my mind those old days when I longed for the things of God. Just to be honest, right now, I feel, just felt a little numb. Maybe for a long time, maybe for a little time. Maybe for some of you it almost is starting to feel like a lifetime. Jesus is here to give you hope. Maybe some of your love muscles are just weak because of neglect. You've loved other things. You, you all in here have them. That's what the great command is saying. It's like you, you're loving. It's time to get to work. Dallas Willard said it well, grace is opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. Say that again, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Jesus says, do the works you did at the first. I bet at the first you saw him. You really saw Jesus, he turned your head. So what work do you need to do now so that you can see him? Because he's not any less beautiful than he ever was. We could go to Revelation chapter 1 and just walk through all of these big and beautiful descriptions of Him as the sovereign Son of Man, the, the sympathizing Savior who is our great high peace, the sanctified sage who is the Ancient of Days with white hair, this sovereign seer who has eyes of fire. He has bronze feet because His feet are the strongest foundation in the world. He's the one even in our text who holds the stars, that is, He holds the angels or the messengers that represent our church. He is beautiful. What do you need to start to do to go back so you see Him like you used to see Him? How do you need to seek Him? What were those early works of loving Him and loving others that you did? And you're just like, well, back then I just kind of did them. Well, we're growing up, right? We're all at different stages of development in our journey of faith. And part of growing up means you just got to relearn how to do it for this season of your life. That doesn't mean you failed. Some people hear this and they're like, well, I'll never get back to that sort of thing. It's not about going back so much. It's about, it's about going back and grabbing that love and saying, now what does that look like at this step in my journey? but I'm not going to let go of that love. I'm not going to become a person who's merely loyal to Jesus because he wants my heart. Cassie says that I used to do Taibo, but I disagree with that if you know what Taibo is. She says I did it. I did not do it. Billy Blanks. Look him up if you don't know who he is. But I remember us. We would, she would do Taibo, and we're listening to sermons. Now that might sound nerdy, and I'm not saying everybody needs to do that, and that's the right thing to do. But it was just like, this is what we do. We want to know more about who God is, even when we exercise. It's been a long time since we have did things like that. I'm sharing this to you guys today, not from a place of strength, but I'm being challenged myself to go back and do that. That's maybe not my flinch right now like it was then in that same way. But I want it to be. Because I believe that's what Jesus is calling me to do. Not merely for just something to do, but for His glory and my joy. I remember me and one of my friends when I was in college, like, hey, you want to meet Friday night and read through all the minor prophets and pray? Again, I'm not saying that has to be your experience. On a Friday night? Honestly, it's been a long time that I've wanted to spend a Friday night reading all the minor prophets and pray. There's probably a point in your life, right, where I say, I don't want to do this. So what stirred your affections? What stirs them now? What what stirs the love of God and the lovers of others up in your heart? locate that and lean into it. For some of you, it may be music. For some of you, it may be going for a walk outside. For some of you, it may be having a certain discussion with someone, listening to something. You know that when you do these things, it kind of it stirs you up towards having affections for God. It's not childish. It's maturity to lean into that. What dilutes your affections? I, I like sports, but I know that if I get too involved in like this last year NBA off-season free agency thing, all that was kind of sucking me in. I'd never even paid it, I hadn't paid attention to it in a long time. And it's like now all of a sudden I'm noticing, okay, that's not a bad thing, but is that diluting my affections for Christ? Is that, am I letting this consume too much of my head space and my heart space and my time? And it's not a bad thing. And this is, this is where there's not legalism. It's different for all of us. Some of you might say, no, I love watching sports. I pray for all the people. And when I do it, it gets me real just focused on how there's such great diversity and gifting in the world. And if, but no, what is it? What's diluting it? Maybe certain music encourages it. Maybe certain music discourages it. But lean into what stirs your affections for Christ and with a sacrificial desire, just start leaning out of what doesn't. Help each other. Maybe when you meet in fight clubs or just any relationship, it doesn't have to be in that structure, have the boldness to ask a fellow follower of Jesus, how's your first love? How's your first love? Let's give each other permission to do that, not feeling like we're being critiqued or condemned or called out. You may want to share first before you ask it man, my first love's waning this week. And we need to remember that this is to a church and not just individuals. So, our time is is short, but I shared with some of you yesterday this story out of Iran. So when we think of Iran in the news right now, most of us are thinking bad stuff. But there's an underground church in Iran. And it's thriving, and it's beautiful. And they don't have any organized leadership or structures, but they have a love of Jesus. They have God's Word. And so what's happening is disciples are being made. One Iranian church leader says this is our model inside Iran is that we don't convert to disciple. We disciple so we can convert. Surprisingly, their emphasis is not planting churches. It's making disciples. If you make disciples, you will plant churches. Just so you know if you're new, like this, this was the first love heart of our church. It was not to plant a church. It was, we would use this language. It was to plant the gospel, make disciples, and trust Jesus to build his church. We don't need to forget that. They do small discipleship groups, similar to the things that we encourage and structure and motivate for in our church. And he says it's obedience-based discipleship. It's based on the authority of Scripture. Every time you read the Scripture, you must obey it. This is what we said from the start in our church. We don't want to just give people another Bible study that they can disobey. We want to have structures in, in place like, we learned this, now let's go live it. We don't need to just say, yeah, that was good. Next, next sermon, next study. And I love this too. He said about 55% of the disciple makers are women, according to one Iranian leader. Because, and this is, this is important, he says what's fascinating right now is that most powerful leaders in Iran are women. It's not in a bombastic, humanistic way, fact they're the most gentle women they're leading this movement going out into the highways and byways sharing with prostitutes drug addicts and everybody they come in contact with and that takes courage they're courageous women but they have the the same theology and the same structure of how we feel about leadership in our life in our church but this is important because this is why one big reason at the beginning of our church if you don't know it is you do not need a title to make a disciple Jesus has authorized all of his people, male, female, child, if you're a student in here today, to go out and make disciples. You don't need me to tell you you can do that. It's much bigger than that. People who are in love with Jesus aren't like saying, man, if I don't have a title, I can't do it. You just, you do it. And the Lord blesses. And at the end of this story, it cites that one Iranian couple had the opportunity to move to the U.S. after living in America for a matter of months, and the wife decided she wanted to move back to Iran, telling her surprised husband, there is a satanic lullaby here. All the Christians are sleepy, and I'm starting to feel sleepy. story was disturbing another leader notes because that woman was discerning a threat to her faith that was a greater threat than any kind of persecution that happens in Iran Matthew's Table Church exists because we never want to just give in to that satanic lullaby consumeristic, dull checklist following Jesus Christianity. But we better humble ourselves to realize we're not immune to it. It's in this heart a lot of days. So finally, and to lead us to the table, how do do we hang on as we remember and then we repent and do these works we did at the first that Jesus has called us to? We've got to rest in the reality that Jesus hasn't abandoned His first love. This is really good news. Guess what? Jesus still loves you as much as He ever has. He's never got distracted. Never. Not in one moment in your life when you were dulled to Him, distracted by other things, giving your daydreams to other stuff, not one moment did he start saying, well, I guess I'll go focus on something else too. This is amazing. They don't love him, and he's just leading them with grace. He's saying, before I tell you this in verse 4, I want to point out all the great things I see you're doing. Isn't that amazing? He could have just came and said, I'm dropping the hammer down. These bunch of lifeless, loveless people. But he's like, no, I see your loyalty. Thank you for that. You could have gave in. You could have quit. But you're here. Hear that to you right now. You're here. You're hanging in there. He loves you. He ends with grace. He wants to spend eternity with you in paradise. Some of us daydream about a vacation where we can take a break from the life of God. Just be honest. Man, wouldn't it be nice just to go somewhere else for a little while and not have to think about all that Jesus-y stuff. Uh, Maybe I'm the only depraved person that sometimes thinks crazy things. Jesus' daydream is an eternal vacation with you. He just wants to be with you. Do you realize that? How do you keep loving Him? as it the first? You've got to realize He still loves you the same at the first. Yes, after all you've been through, He'd still choose you. He'd still die for you. He's still in love with you. He's still interceding for you. He's still covering you in His righteousness. He's still not ashamed to call you brother or sister. He's still saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. He's still giving you His spirit. He's still calling you back to His table. Where you can taste and see, again, this is how much I love you. All you deserved from me was nothing but judgment. And I gave you everything. Not so that you can feel guilty and now become my slave, but so that you can be free and be my friend. Peter denied Jesus three times. And as Jesus led Peter in his restoration, you know what questions he asked him? Do you love me? That's what he's asking us today. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me more than these? Has it made any difference in your life that Jesus says the most important thing in your life is that you love me? Do you realize that he is more than loyal to you? that he loves you. Father, we thank you for this good news of the gospel. We confess that we easily fall from the love that you're so gracious to let us experience even for a time. But we want to come back today again. In Jesus' name.